Well, good morning, Fellowship Greenville. Yeah, nice. It's good to see, it's good to be in Auditorium 1. I'm a creature of habit, and I normally sit in Odd 2. So it's good to be here with you guys and see your faces. Welcome to those people in Auditorium 2. Those are my people over there. And if you're joining online, then a special welcome to you as well. Hopefully we're gonna see your smiling face here in person at some point. My name is Rob Marks and I serve as one of the pastors here. If you're new to Fellowship Greenville, and especially if this is your very first Sunday, we are glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And I want you to know that there is a wonderful team of people at our guest services desk that's just outside of Auditorium One in the Commons. And they're there, they're ready to greet you. They're ready to answer any questions that you might have. So if you haven't done so already, I just encourage you to stop there after the service. Now, I want you to know, as you've already heard, this Sunday is a little different than a typical Sunday. And normally we're studying our way through whole books of the Bible. And typically in the summer, we'll take a time and do a topical message. And we actually have uh, three more messages left in our series that we're currently in, which is called, Here's Your God. And that'll start back next week. So I hope you come back and join us for that. But this Sunday is special. It's every year around this time, we set aside just one Sunday to focus on and celebrate the next generation. And so this is Next Gen Sunday. We, typically we do this in August because um, families are about ready to shift gears as their kids go back to school and they're starting new grades and new routines. Sometimes the, the kids are like, oh, parents are like, yes. Traffic is gonna change here pretty soon. Uh, this is also a time when as a church, we begin to launch into our new ministry year. So this is just a natural time of transition. Now, my wife, Sharon, and I, we have five kids. And so we've experienced our share of transitions over the last 25 years or so. But we're actually in a new transition. Two weeks ago, we've been very busy. Two weeks ago, our oldest son moved into his first house. Our oldest daughter uh, just celebrated her first year of marriage, so congratulations to her. Last weekend, we, our middle son, Nathan, got married and I was blessed to do, officiate the wedding. There's a great picture of the new couple. They're on their way back from their honeymoon actually today. Our youngest son, he served in uh, Costa Rica for nine weeks, but he went back to college this last Wednesday because he's gonna be an RA. And our youngest daughter, Autumn, moves into her dorm room this coming Friday to start her freshman year at Anderson University. Now, for those of you that are keeping count, that means that our nest is now empty. And it is merely a table for two. That's right, can I get an amen for that? <sighs> now I already know what's gonna happen. After the service, somebody is gonna, that's you know, a stage ahead of us is gonna come and tell me, you know, they, they come back. <laughs> and I know that that's a real possibility. I get that, and that's okay, because I love my kids. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Just give me a couple of weeks, okay? <laughs> don't, don't spoil the moment for me. Tell me in a couple of weeks. So we're in a transition for sure. Here at Fellowship Greenville, we have made the next generation a priority. You may not know this, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a, a history lesson, but in 2013, we made the decision as a church to move to a next-gen model of ministry. Now, what that means is that our ministries that are focused on kids and students would work together as one team. We would see the family as this whole unit. 
we added a family ministry component and that was to help focus kind of on resourcing and equipping families because this is what we believe as a church. We believe that parents are the primary nurturer of their child's faith. Let me say it again. We believe that parents are the primary nurturers of their child's faith. So since that's true, partnering with parents is a key element of what we do. Like we really wanna partner with parents. So I'm gonna give you some examples of how we do this. Just a few, we do it in a lot of ways, but here are some ways that we partner with parents. Several times a year, we host an event called Child Dedication. And Child Dedication is there to help parents think about and plan the path for discipling their kids. As a new parent, there are lots of things to think about. You can think back about that. And it can get kind of overwhelming sometimes. So what we did is we created child dedication to help parents kind of look at their kids and begin with an end in mind about envisioning who they want their child to become and then to get a chance to invite family and friends into that journey of building faith in their children. It's a great event. Here's another example of how we partner with parents. Our Next Gen Baptism class. Our Next Gen Baptism class is really designed to put parents in the main role of having a guided conversation with their child around what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow him through baptism. And then when it's time for the actual baptism to happen, the parents get a chance to be a part of that celebration by publicly affirming their child before they're baptized. It's one of the most fun things we get to do. Yesterday, here we hosted Six Rise. It's an event specifically for kids that are moving into the sixth grade and all the opportunities and challenges that go along with becoming a middle schooler. Lots of families here with their middle schoolers. I taught sixth grade way back in the day. Middle school can be some of the toughest years. And so parents attend Six Rise with their students and we walk through how to shift their focus to affirming their middle schooler because we believe that that affirming mindset is gonna be really critical over their child's next three years. Tonight, we're gonna host Nine Rise. It's for students that are going into high school for the first time. Next weekend, we'll do uh, K Rise. It's for kids who are starting elementary school for the first time. These transition times, we feel like are important moments in the lives of kids. And what we wanna do is we wanna help parents make the appropriate shift as their kids change. It's just a few examples, there's lots, but that's just a few examples of how we're partnering with parents to disciple the next generation. But this morning, I wanna talk further about our investment in the next generation and what that could look like. Now, this is probably already starting to sound like, oh, this is just a message for parents, and I don't have kids, or my kids are gone, so I don't need to listen to this. No, I am gonna talk to parents this morning, or maybe you think this sounds like this is gonna be about what Fellowship Greenville does for the next generation, but I think it's more than that. I believe God is calling us all to consider the next generation. So when I say our investment, I mean all of us, all of us. Truth is you don't have to spend much time in your Bible to realize that investing in the next generation is actually God's idea. Think back, go back into Deuteronomy. God instructed Moses to tell people to continually teach their children about his goodness. There's a story with Joshua where God told Joshua, set up these stones of remembrance so that the next generation would not forget how he rescued them. 
When Joel wanted the work of God to not be forgotten, he said in Joel 1.3, these were his words, tell your sons about it, let your sons tell their sons and their sons the next generation. Investing in the next generation is clearly God's idea. There are lots of examples, honestly, in the Bible about investing in the next generation. But this morning, I want us to focus on one. We're gonna take a look at the example that we see in the life of Timothy. So let me give you a little background on Timothy. Timothy was from the city of Lystra, which was in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey now. And we learn in the book of Acts that Timothy's mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. So his mom was a believer, but his dad wasn't. Now, Timothy traveled with Paul on several of Paul's missionary journeys, and there are two letters from Paul to Timothy that make up part of the New Testament. They call them First and Second Timothy, which is great, great name. Now, if you have a Bible, what I want you to do is go ahead and open your Bible and turn to Second Timothy. Turn to Second Timothy, because we're gonna look at some passages from there in just a few minutes. So think about it, here's this guy, this young guy, and he would have been young, this young guy named Timothy that becomes a major part of Paul's ministry. He's even mentioned in eight of the letters that Paul writes that make up part of the New Testament. So how did Timothy get to this point where God was using him in such significant ways? I mean, if I was a parent, that's what I would wanna see God doing in the life of my child. So how did Timothy get to this point? Well, as we consider our investment in the next generation, I believe that there are several things we can learn from the life of Timothy that show us what that investment could look like. Now, it would be nice if there was like this written out recipe of how to disciple the next generation or how to disciple our children, but there's not. But I think Timothy's faith journey can give us some things that we need to consider. So I've got a couple of ideas here. The first thing that we learn from the life of Timothy is this. Timothy was taught the truth of God's word at a young age. Timothy was taught the truth of God's word at a young age. So take a look at 2 Timothy chapter three. Look at 2 Timothy chapter three. And we're gonna start in verse 13, but we're gonna key on 14 and 15. In verse 13, Paul is talking to Timothy about the difficult times of persecution that are coming. And he says in verse 13, he says this, evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. His words in verse 14 and 15 are the charge to Timothy to guard him from going down the same path. So look at what it says in 14 and 15. Paul says to him, he says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from who you've learned them and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying to Timothy, he's saying, hey, there's a bunch of evil men and imposters. They're going from bad to worse. And not only are they deceiving people, but they're being deceived. And here's what you need to do to not be like them. He says, know where you came from and lean on what you've learned from childhood and what you know to be true because that truth will provide the wisdom necessary to walk in faith now. In other words, the truth you learned as a child will give you the wisdom necessary to walk in faith now as an adult. Now, this leads to 2 Timothy 3.16, and that's probably a verse that many of you 
are maybe more familiar with, where Paul says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So Paul's point here is, the word of God is all you need to train and guide you to walk in righteousness, so use it. Now, our children and our children's children, they're gonna face a much different future from ours, and they're gonna need the truth that gives wisdom, that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we have an opportunity. Our opportunity to invest in the next generation is to teach our children from a young age the truth of God's word. We need to start them at a young age and teach them the truth of God's word. Now, honestly, that can sound um, intimidating, especially if you don't feel like you have a strong grasp of the Bible yourself. And it may bring some questions to your mind, like, oh my goodness, like where do you start and what do you focus on? Well, here's some key ideas to focus on, I think, that will help train your children. We've got three. First, help your children build faith by teaching them what the Bible says about how to view God and how to view the world. Key on those two things. How should they view God and how should they view the world? Now, it's interesting because in Hebrews chapter 11, which is kind of known as like the, it's like the faith hall of fame because it lists all these people from the Old Testament that acted in faith. But before it lists those people um, on, in faith, in verse three, it says this, by faith we understand what the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made of things which are visible. So a part of our foundation of faith is built on what we believe about how our world was created. That's a part of the foundation. So continually remind your kids that God created this world and everything in it, and he holds it all together. As your kids get older, they need to know that God is not distant. He's not out of touch. He didn't create the world. He didn't put it into motion and then just step away from it. Show them how God is actively involved with everything, good and bad, and he uses them both for his, their good and his glory. Now, of course, in order to teach them this, you're gonna have to believe it yourself, right? Help them understand the one big story of the Bible that God has already written, and he's bringing it to his desired outcome. How do you teach this one story of the Bible if you don't know it yourself? Well, when your kids were young, you likely read them books like Good Night Moon and The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Do you remember reading those books 200 times to your kids? We read those books too to our kids and along with lots of other books. But the truth is we also need to read books like What God Has Always Wanted by our own Charles F. Boyd or the Jesus Storybook Bible or a book called The Promise, or other books about God, because these books will help you understand the one big story of the Bible, and it'll help you teach it to your children. All those books can be found in our Faith at Home Center that's in the commons. We need to regularly put in front of our children the truth about who God is. Here's another key idea. Help your children build faith by teaching them what the Bible says about how to view themselves, about how to view themselves. 
Teach your children from a young age that they were created by God in his image. Teach them that God loves them more than they will ever know and that through Jesus, they are made right with God. Familiarize yourself with passages of scripture like Ephesians 1 and 2 so you can remind them over and over and you'll have to do it over and over and over again that they're holy, beloved, and chosen by God. All as your children get older, encourage them that God actually has a plan for their lives and no matter what path they choose, they're to glorify God in it. Ground your kids in this truth that their identity as image bearers so they're not deceived. I've told parents so many times before, the most dangerous thing on their child's phone or tablet or computer is not the potential exposure to pornography. That's not the most dangerous thing. But it's this pervasive idea that their identity is theirs to create for themselves, leaving God out of the equation. Now, of course, in order to teach your children that they are a child of God, you'll need to remind yourself of the same thing, right? Now, the third key idea is this. Third key idea, the third idea of how to build faith is to teach them what the Bible says about how to view others. It's like how to view the world and God, how to view themselves, but how are they supposed to view others? Teach your children that no matter what, all people are created in the image of God too. Paul consistently speaks in his letters for us to build one another up and through humility to see others as more important than ourselves, to not merely look out for our, our own interests, but also the interests of others. Jesus taught to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So loving God and loving others is an idea we don't want our kids to miss. Of course, in order for them to believe it, they'll need to see this and how you treat others too, right? I gotta be honest, when I look back at my parenting, I sometimes feel, felt this pressure to teach my kids to be a believer. I wanted to do the right things, right? I, I took them to church. We prayed before every meal. I tried to teach them biblical principles and all those things are good. Sometimes I was also guilty of being more concerned that they merely looked like a believer instead of actually being a believer. Don't get distracted with behavior modification, but instead, focus on heart transformation. Let's go back to Timothy. This is gonna be the second thing that I think we can learn from the life of Timothy as we consider our investment in the next generation. And it's this, Timothy came from a legacy of faith that was handed down from the generations before him. Timothy came from a legacy of faith. Look at what Paul says. You'll have to flip over a couple of pages. Look at what Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure it is in you as well. Now, the faith that Paul's describing here, like it's one that's genuine, it can be seen. Paul is seeing something in Timothy that he also saw in Timothy's mother and grandmother that indicates a real faith. But notice the order. Paul says, I see this genuine faith in you that first dwelt in your grandmother and your mother, right? 
This idea of a legacy of faith isn't new. Matt talked about it this morning. God is often referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's like laying out this legacy of promise that God made with his people. So we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to invest in the next generation by leaving a legacy of faith for our children. We need to leave a legacy of faith for our children. Now I'll tell you, I'm blessed. I came from a legacy of faith. I wanna introduce you to my parents, not here, but they're on the screen. This is my parents, this is my mom, Marilyn Rose, and this is my dad. I think this is, I think this is a picture from the Enchantment Under the Sea dance where they kissed for the first time, right after my dad knocked Biff out in the parking lot. <laughs> that's, a, um, that's a Back to the Future reference for those of you who didn't know. If you're my age, you should have known that. No, actually, this is a picture that was taken around 1960 when they were dating. This was at the Moonlight Gardens at Old Coney Island in Cincinnati. The Moonlight Gardens was a place you would go to dance and listen to big band music. Now, my parents met when my mom picked up my dad hitchhiking. Don't recommend that now. This is not, <laughs> do not do that. This is not a way to meet someone. But you could do that in 1960 probably. But they started dating and eventually they fell in love and they got married. Now they both lived in small rural towns but they were in different counties. But they came from two very different spiritual backgrounds. My mom's grandparents and her parents were both very strong believers. And that faith spilled over into my mom and it eventually spilled over into me and my sister. And much like Timothy, even though my dad wasn't a believer, my mom consistently took my sister and I to church. And I look back at my childhood, I honestly, I don't recall specific lessons that my mom taught me, but I'm, I'm sure she did. I, I could, typical child, I don't necessarily remember it. And we didn't have family devotions on a regular basis. But I do remember this. When my mom helped me process and navigate life, she would always push me to the truth of scripture. So when I started gaining more freedom as a teenager, she would remind me, she would say, now make sure you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And when I felt pressures of life, she would tell me, you've heard this, right? Be, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And when I faced what I seemed like big decisions and there would be some like anxiety in that, she would encourage me, don't worry about tomorrow, or tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. She pushed me to what the truth of scripture told me. That's what she put in front of me. Something else that I remember about my mom is, when I came downstairs, I often found her sitting at the table with her Bible open, reading, meditating, praying, journaling. See, Paul acknowledges that the faith in Timothy is something that can be seen, just like it could be seen in his mother and his grandmother. So, if we wanna leave a legacy of faith for our children, one of the greatest things we can do is be a believer right before their eyes and give them something worth emulating. We need to be believers right in front of them so they can see it. Now, if you didn't come from a legacy of faith, I get that, a lot of us didn't, then allow God to use you to start 
that legacy now. If you feel like, and I remember feeling this way too, if you feel like, man, my kids are too old and it's too late, it's too late, then I would encourage you to spend time praying for your kids specifically, no matter what their age, even if they're not in your home anymore. And if you're one of those people that go, man, I don't know that I've ever really experienced God answering prayers. If your kids are in your home, then try this. Ask God for your kids to get caught in their sin. This is a prayer that I have found God loves to answer in tangible ways. He does. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's not a prayer for the fainted heart. It's just not. So the third thing that we can learn from the life of Timothy as we consider our investment in the next generation is this. God used other people besides his family to disciple Timothy. He used his family, but he used other people besides that. Parents can only take their child's faith so far. So they need other people to invest in their children. Parents need other people to see something in their child that they sometimes are honestly just too close to see. The apostle Paul, he had a significant investment in the life of Timothy. In the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, look at how he refers to him in the introduction. In his first letter to Timothy, Paul refers to him as my true child in the faith. In the second letter, he addresses it to Timothy, my beloved son. Do you hear it? Paul obviously sees something in Timothy. His letters to Timothy are filled with encouragement and instruction. Paul takes the potential he sees in Timothy and he develops, he develops it by walking in faith with him and giving him opportunities to join him in serving others. Now, it's through that Paul's investment that Timothy becomes what, to what Paul refers to later as a brother or God's fellow worker in the gospel. So we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to invest in the next generation through discipleship and mentoring someone besides their parents. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I've already introduced you to my parents and let me talk about them a little bit further. When my parents became empty nesters, my mom got involved with the students at our church and uh, she used her living room and her kitchen. She redid her living room and she used her living room and her kitchen as a place to disciple girls. She always had a girls group at her house. Here's a picture, I'm gonna throw one up on the screen of one of her groups. And I reached out to one of the girls in the group. Her name is Misty. She's the one kind of in the center of the picture there with her head on top of the girl in front of her. And I asked Misty if she would share about my mom's investment in her. And uh, we talked on the phone and uh, she sent me an email describing the impact of being discipled and mentored by my mom. And I asked her, I said, Misty, how much of your story can I share? And she said, all of it, share all of it. Because she goes, I know the power of testimony and the power of story. So this is Misty's story in her own words. Marilyn was a pivotal part of who I am today. I met Marilyn through Wednesday night youth group at church. I was nearly 15 years old and at that point completely miserable. My childhood was pretty rough and right before I turned 15, I had an opportunity to move in with my best friend. 
At that time, I didn't think me living away from my family would be a permanent thing, but I would end up finishing high school, living with my friend Natalie and her family. To give you a little bit of history, my parents divorced when I was eight. My younger sisters were five and four, and my brother was only seven months old. My dad, an alcoholic, did try the best with what he had. My mother, with her addictive personality, just wanted to find a love that transcended the lack of love she received from her own father. The man she married after my dad was physically and emotionally abusive to her as well as my siblings and I. By the time I was 13, my stepdad was in prison and my mother began taking pain pills and found a profession as a stripper to try to provide for us. We moved constantly and ended up living at the Days Inn for a very long time. The summer before I met Marilyn, I began cutting myself as a way to control anything in a world that I had no control over. I stayed with Natalie that entire summer and never went back to my mother. It was also around this time that she began using heroin. I've spent the majority of my adult years both in therapy and intentionally surrounded by faithful people to overcome the guilt that I still sometimes feel about leaving my siblings behind. If I spend too much time thinking about it, I still feel that shame for having abandoned them to survive in an awful environment. I have given myself grace as I know that Jesus has, but sometimes I have to work through it all over again. That is the girl Marilyn met. I only showed up to youth group because I wanted something to do. I never let anyone know just how bad my family life was or how depressed and hopeless I felt. Each week that I spent in youth group, I moved further and further from the attitude of I'm just here to have something to do and closer to God. Marilyn had so much to do with that transition. She even bought me my first Bible and taught me that writing in it was okay. The interest and love that she showed me made me feel like I was special and mattered. I can guarantee that each teenage girl in our group can share that same testimony. She had a way of making you feel like the center of her universe, and every teenage girl wants that. The next summer, our church was planning a week-long youth retreat in Destin, Florida. This week promised to be amazing, and of course I wanted to go. To this day, I'm not sure how much it cost. I worked with the youth group to try to earn money to go toward it. I was worried that it wouldn't be enough, and I knew my mom wouldn't be able to fund any of it. Somehow, I was able to go. At the time, I thought it was because I had earned enough money. It wasn't until the next summer, when I attended again, that I knew the truth. Marilyn made sure that I got to go. Those trips taught me about prayer and the unquestionable love of Christ. They taught me what true grace was, and how to show it to myself and others. I took all that I learned and poured it back into my siblings whose lives were more chaotic than they had ever been before. I know without a doubt that my sisters and brother were so positively impacted by what I was able to bring back and teach. Each of them, now parents and lovely adults, have shared with me how I led them through the dark, and I was only able to do that because Marilyn did that for me. There are so many moments, prayers, and conversations with Marilyn that laid the groundwork for the woman and mother I am today. When I was 17, I remember sharing with her that I was planning to marry my boyfriend when he came home from his deployment and I turned 18. I didn't share that with many people because I was worried about being judged. She was so gracious and kind and shared her love story with me. She prayed for me constantly and for Derek, who was deployed to Afghanistan at the time. When I found out I was pregnant, at only 19, I agonized over telling anyone. I was married, but I was still so young. At that time, I was living in New York and felt completely alone. I reached out to Marilyn through email and explained my nervousness. In true Marilyn form, she was graceful and kind and shared her own stories of motherhood. We spent time during my pregnancy catching up over the phone often. When I had my daughter, I knew that she had to share the name of the woman that saw my soul and knew my potential. 
Madeline Rose was born on April 20th, 2008. It was such an ordeal. I got to bring her home to meet her namesake that summer, and I will never forget the look she gave me when I put Maddie in her arms. It has stayed with me for 14 years. Her impact on my life impacted so many. After combat, PTSD, and a traumatic brain injury in 2019, after years of prayers, my husband was baptized while we were stationed in Virginia. I know that so many people played a part in that, but I don't think I would be exaggerating to say that I believe that the first part was played by Marilyn. Thank you for reaching out to me about this. I've often thought of her over the years, but sitting down to remember the small details just brought her back up for me. She is honestly one of the pillars that makes up Misty. I am a better woman having known her, and my children are lucky to have a secondhand experience. I will forever be grateful for my time with Marilyn. With love, Misty. Here's what I know to be true. When we invest in the next generation, it has an impact that outlives us, and the returns go beyond what we will see. It outlives us. When someone like Misty doesn't come from a legacy of faith, God uses the church to create a legacy for them to build upon. My mom's legacy not only changed Misty's trajectory, but also her brother and her sisters and her own children. Now, in FG Kids and FG Students, um, you'll see there's three words that we key on. It's belong, believe, become. Maybe you've seen it, uh, these words on the walls uh, in our environments or on t-shirts. And not only are these three words strategic, but the order of the words is equally important. Even though I don't think it's intentional, churches can sometimes make people feel like first they have to believe what we believe and they have to become like us before they can feel like they belong. And the truth is if they don't feel like they measure up, then they'll just walk away. I know that's what my dad experienced many years ago. But with the next generation, we want them to feel like they belong first. It's beautifully illustrated in Misty's story. She came to youth group for something to do, but what she found was someone who made her feel like she mattered. Instead of feeling judged, she felt loved, she felt kindness, and she felt grace. What we've learned to be true is that relationships and a deep sense of belonging act as a bridge for gospel connections. So important. Many times our kids and students need to feel like they belong first before they can believe. One of the things I love about Misty's story, if you heard it in there, is how she felt compelled to share the gospel with her siblings, just like what was done for her. Do you see how belong, believe, become played out in her life? I said it at the beginning, I wanna talk about our investment in the next generation. And when I say that, our investment, I mean all of us. You may not know this, but typically we have 600 to 700 kids and students from birth through 12th grade here every Sunday. Six to 700, and that number's growing fast. So let me put it in perspective. There are some people that would stay, say that the average size church in America is 250. We have 600 to 700 kids and students. So we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to invest in the next generation by serving in FG kids or FG students. 
We need people to give up a few hours of their week by building relationships with our kids and students and help them feel like they belong. Our kids and student ministries don't exist to give your children something to do while you go to service. And here's why, statistically speaking, the majority of believers make a faith decision before the fifth grade. So I believe our investment in the next generation is one of the most important things that we can do because it builds the legacy of faith that we were called to leave. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I want you to consider where you might invest yourself in one of our next-gen areas of ministry. In these environments, we focus on teaching our kids the truth of God's word and we help them grow in a legacy of faith, all of which is built on a sense of belonging. I mean, with that many kids and students, it's gonna take people who are unwilling to invest in the next generation. So FG Kids, it has three areas based on age. There's preschool, which starts at birth through five-year-olds. There's elementary, which is kindergarten through third grade. And then I'm really excited because we have a new preteen area that's specifically designed for kids in the fourth and fifth grade. Now, FG students, it's split into middle school, which meets Sunday mornings, and high school, which meets Sunday nights. Church, you need to step into this. Our kids need you. Find one of these areas to invest in the next generation. You've got to do it. There's several ways you can begin the process. We've made it really, really easy for you. Here's the first way you can do this. You can go to the next step desk that's out in the commons and you can just walk up them and just tell them, I wanna invest in the next generation by serving. And they will help you get connected to the right people. One of my favorite people in the world is gonna be out there, it's my wife. You can go to our website. If you go to our website to the serving opportunities page, there's areas that you can click on areas and you can just say, I'm interested. You're not even committing, you're just saying, I'm interested in serving in a potential area and it'll notify the right staff person and they will follow up with you. There's a third way that's even easier. You can scan the QR code on the back of the seat in front of you and it'll take you to a place on our website where you can register for our next, lead, next gen leader launch. It's called The Journey because we're on this journey together and it happens next Sunday from three to five. And we're asking anyone who already is, and there's a lot, or anyone who's interested in serving in one of our next-gen areas to attend that event and hear about ways that you can invest specifically in the next generation. This is the truth. Investing in the next generation is God's idea. But this leaving a legacy of faith, that's our responsibility. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the legacy of faith that we have built for us through Christ. Father, I'm thankful for a church that values the next generation. Will you use us in the ways that we can teach our children the truth of your word, that we can leave them a legacy of faith to? Father, will you use our kids and our children's children in powerful ways Give us the heart to want to, to want to do it, Lord. All of it for your glory. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.